Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Smart Health Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Keyes. If I were to ask you what month you think Men's Health Month is, I bet, like myself, you would have guessed November. And while November is when you see many men sporting mustaches and full beards as part of the No Shave November campaign, Men's Health Month is actually June. And so here we are, halfway through June, and today we are going to dive into everything about men's health and how they can improve their overall health. Now, my guest today needs no intro as he holds the current record for show appearances at three, including today. He is the coolest cucumber in the room, so please join me in welcoming back our CMO, Dr. Saeed Raza. Thank you. So, Dr. Raza, with all of your experience on the show, you know that the first question is usually a little bit of fun, but I do sort of want to stay on topic with the men's health stuff with uh, a little beard growth story. So you probably don't recall this, but you were a speaking guest at my orientation when I was hired here in November of 2017. And I say November because you were pretty deep into growing a beard for No Shave November. And of course, when we have a speaking guest, we typically show their rack card photo on the slideshow, which yours is a glamour shot of you unshaved. And you made a joke that day that I cannot unsee and that you said your wife describes an unshaved Dr. Raza as a potato. No, as Mr. (laughs) Potato Head. Oh, well, I'd like for you to go a little deeper into that story if you could. (laughs) This is your opportunity to explain your feelings about that. Well, you know, it, it is what it is. And, you know, and I've looked at myself in the mirror in the mornings and I go, wow, you really do look like a potato. Uh, and so that's part of the reason that um, I grew the beard uh, is a couple of reasons, actually. Well, number one is so that my wife would be happy that I was covering up uh, the potato. my potato face. <laughs> uh, and secondly, because, I, you know, I, I like, you know, I'm a brown man. Um, and uh, I was born in Pakistan. Um, and so I prefer... Uh, that uh, intense social interaction when I go to the airport. (laughs) Well, have you thought about any other accessories other than a beard? You know, like Mr. Potato Head has. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. I might get a little bowler hat or something like that. All right, well, (laughs) let's dive in. So what are some of the most common conditions that are more prevalent amongst our male brethren? Well, obviously, um, when we talk about prevalence of health conditions, most of the studies were done on men. And so heart disease is still uh, the number one killer of men overall when we're not in a pandemic year. Right. But then also uh, lung cancer, uh, prostate cancer, not just heart disease. Also, you have to look at cerebrovascular disease, stroke, as well as um, men also get hypertension and diabetes uh, at probably a little bit higher rate uh, than women do. Obviously, we don't have the predilection for breast cancer, uh, but we have prostate, right. uh, which is a more indolent, slow-growing tumor typically, and it takes uh, sometimes takes a decade to kill you. Is there anything that is specific to men, any conditions that are specific to, to them? I mean, I know you said prostate cancer, but, but anything else that we can kind well, of discuss? Well, yeah. It? I mean, you know, a classic example is Lance Armstrong had uh, testicular cancer, and so that's a that's a classic one uh, that that affects younger men usually between the ages of uh, 20 and 40. Uh, with prostate cancer typically affects us uh, when we get older. Uh, benign prostatic hypertrophy affects us usually uh, a little bit after the age of 50. We start uh, seeing symptoms with with uh, uh, changes in our our stream. 
And so those are the ones that are, I think, more more specific to men. Right. What about, you know, all of the things you said, the ones that were not necessarily specific to men, and then the ones that you kind of mentioned there at the end, what are some of the signs and symptoms about these conditions or that some things that maybe men can start looking out for as they kind of go throughout their daily routine? So I think I mentioned in a previous podcast that, you know, chest pain, shortness of breath, uh, starting in the middle of your chest and going to the left side of your body, uh, and the nausea and breaking out in a sweat. I mean, those were, those were, uh, symptoms that were seen in all these men in the Framingham heart uh, study. So we have that mapped out very well. Women tend to have a completely different symptom complex. You know, the other kind of symptoms that you'll see, obviously, with a stroke is you'll have weakness on one side or difficulty with speech or um, difficulty walking. Those kind of things um, are, are classics. Uh, with hypertension, that's why they call it the silent killer. There's really no um, symptoms that you're going to get with it. It's frequently the the offshoot from hypertension. It's a risk factor for a, a lot of different diseases that you see sort of at the latter stages. And so that's part of the reason that you want to get screened. You want to get your blood pressure checked. You don't want to be ignorant about these things. Diabetes, classic symptoms are you're going to want to drink a lot of water all the time. You're peeing a lot. Um, you might have had uh, excessive weight gain followed by weight loss. You're tired all the time. Those are the, sort of the uh, classic initial symptoms for diabetes. So do any of these conditions have screenings that can alert men to their presence? I mean, if so, what age should they also kind of begin getting these? Sure. Um, you know, usually after the age of 20, men should probably get their blood pressure checked on a regular basis, uh, probably once a year, every couple of years um, at their primary care doctor's office. Um, for diabetes, uh, you're going to get your sugar checked usually, uh, uh, later on, usually they'll do it early on and then usually less frequently if they, if, if you're not having any symptoms and that's easy, you know, it's easy enough just to get your, uh, sugar checked just with a blood test. Um, for uh, colon cancer, uh, typically after the age of 45 to 50, you're going to want to get a colonoscopy. Um, there are some less invasive tests out there, uh, um, uh, basically, you send a stool sample into a lab, and they can tell you whether you're at risk or not. The other ones, uh, if you have diabetes, you should get your, uh, you should see a podiatrist once a year. You should see an ophthalmologist once a year to make sure that you don't have any neuropathic or retinopathy uh, findings. And so, most of the screenings are pretty non-invasive. Uh, same thing with a lipid panel; you get that early on. And it's one of these things where you just sort of follow along. The doctor will follow along and, and tell you if you get to a point where uh, your numbers are risky enough for, for you to be started on medications. But these are non-invasive tests until after the age of 50 when you start getting into the colonoscopies. So can genetics play a role in any of these conditions? And should men with a positive family history consider maybe getting the screenings a little earlier? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that uh, a classic example is colon cancer. So... Um, there are uh, illnesses like uh, familial uh, polyposis, um, which puts you at an increased risk of colon cancer. And these folks are going to need to be scoped much more frequently uh, to make sure that none of these polyps that they have are becoming malignant. Um, heart disease, um, you know, Jim Fix is a classic example. The guy, I don't know if, uh, how many of the folks on, that are listening to this podcast know of him, but the guy was a marathon runner. Uh, and his only risk factor was that he had a f very strong family history. And up until a week before um, he died of a heart, massive heart attack, he had run a marathon. Uh, 
So uh, a family history for heart disease is a very strong predictive factor, and it's very important for these folks to get seen by a cardiologist, get their cholesterol checked, and make sure that they're on the right medications. Right. Uh, So what would you say is the most important screening that men should make time for? You know, screenings are, the idea behind screenings is that you want to try to get to a large population with something that's relatively simple. I think that the foremost screening should be a blood pressure check. Get it done either by your doctor or when you're at the pharmacy or whatever. Uh, But that gives you some indication. The great thing about getting it done at the pharmacy or getting it at home is that you won't have the white coat hypertension uh, that you get when you go to the doctor's office. Uh, and it gives you a better idea of whether you actually have hypertension or not. Right. Um, the um, the other screenings that are really not optional. I mean, colon that you need to have your colon colon checked out after the age of fifty. Um, it's this is not a this is not an optional thing. This is something that absolutely needs to be done because this is something that's that can prevent colon cancer. Right. And give you a longer and more uh, better quality of life. So actually kind of a quick question about the, the different blood pressure cuffs. I mean, I have one for myself that's for my, 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 you know, my arm, but I've seen some on the wrist and I just know there's other options out there. Do those have any kind of, do they work? The ones that you they're see not, on the wrist? They're not all the same. Uh, I think the best one is still the one that, that you put over your upper arm. Right. Um, the ones that go on the wrist or go on the forearm I've even seen ones that are on your finger. Uh, they might be convenient, but they're not necessarily uh, uh, as accurate. I just was kind of curious. I mean, if, if people are listening to this and think, you know, maybe I should go get a blood pressure cuff. And I think I think in the end, if you uh, are curious about your blood pressure, get it checked out with, which, with whatever means are available to you. Right. So when I think of, you know, kind of the typical image of, a, and I'm using quotes here, manly man, you know, I think of the do-it-yourself kind of guy. So are there any kind of do-it-yourself screens that men can do for any of these conditions you've listed? You know, like skin checks for melanoma, anything else? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you can get your own blood pressure checked. You can get that done almost everywhere. But, uh, yeah, checking your skin for uh, uh, melanoma probably on a monthly basis, especially if you're out in the sun a lot. And, you know, the places that you're going to want to look for are on your arms. Uh, as many of us are uh, follically challenged, you want to make... <laughs> Myself make, included. You might want to <laughs> check, check, your, uh, check your scalp or have, have, your, have your significant other look at your scalp. Yeah. Um, and then at a younger age, um, you know, I remember when I was uh, 12 years old, my family doctor showed me how to do testicular self-exam. Um, and I think that that's very important because that is absolutely a kind of cancer that can be treated. Uh, I mean, once again, Lance Armstrong, he was treated for that and he presented with, in any other cancer would have been end stage cancer. He had cannonball lesions in his lungs, uh, and they gave him chemo and, and radiation and, uh, and you saw the end result. I mean, he did so well that he was able to use uh, uh, pharma- pharmacology to, to win five Tour de France after, France's afterwards. <laughs> That's true, he did. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, kind of speaking about, you know, kind of that, that same kind of real talk about a manly man, you know, men tend to kind of put off being proactive about their health. In fact, women make twice as many preventative visits to their healthcare provider as men. Why do you think that is? And, and what kind of words do you use to encourage your male patients to be more proactive about their health? So it's an interesting evolution. 
So when men get uh, to a certain age, usually after retirement, you see them coming to the doctor a lot more. It's not just because they have a lot more time because they're retired. Um, it's because the family's already set. Everybody's gone to college, gotten married, whatever. And now they don't necessarily have as much, they feel like as much responsibility. Um, so then they're not so scared about going to the doctor. But before the age of 65, before they retire, especially if they feel like they're their primary breadwinner of the family, right. uh, they're scared to death because they think that they're going to go to the doctor. The doctor is going to tell them something horrible and their life is going to be over. Um, so it's really a lot of it has to do with fear. Right. Women don't have that fear uh, for whatever reason. I mean, they could just as easily be the primary breadwinners and uh, be responsible for everything. But uh, for whatever reason, their genetic makeup allows them to to overcome that fear and understand that uh, going to the doctor, getting checked out is probably going to be a good thing because it'll help them live longer, healthier lives. Right. So that's that's mainly what I try to tell my uh, male patients is, uh, you know, listen, uh, just about everything is reversible. Uh, everything is treatable. Uh, and wouldn't you feel foolish if you decided to put off going to the doctor because uh, you were scared that you were going to get something uh, that wasn't preventable or wasn't treatable, but what you actually had was something that could have easily been taken care of. Yeah. Uh, and everything could have been, you know, taken care of at an early stage. Yeah, normal. So, you know, as, as a health coach, um, I'm a big proponent of preventable health measures. And I'm always open and honest with my clients. But you know, sometimes, like when we talked about, you know, it's a little too taboo for them to be open about. And many men kind of tend to hide their thoughts or, you know, they don't really want to talk to their healthcare professional about certain topics. But I would really like to try to break that stigma by answering, why is it important to be proactive about these conditions? And can you talk, I guess, about the ability, like you said, to prevent and treat many of them successfully? Yeah, so when you look at the increase in life expectancy um, since the turn of the century, or really for the last two, three hundred years, uh, a lot of it has to do with vaccinations, some of it, and a lot of it has to do with broad screening uh, tests that we do on everything from babies up until adults. Right. Uh, that's why it's really important get go to a place where they can do these kind of screenings, uh, regardless of what age you are. Uh, because if we can pick something up early on, we can treat it, and we can prolong life and improve quality of life as well. And so that I think that's, that's um, a lot of why uh, we've seen the life expectancy in this country go from what was probably around uh, 55, 50, 59, uh, up to 75 to 78 uh, over the last uh, 200 years or so. Go to the doctor, guys. Get the screens done. Um, they, they can save your life. So get in there. You know, I always like to simplify tasks for clients instead of creating a kind of an overwhelming health protocol for them. So I'd like to kind of finish off with some more high-level questions. So what are some simple steps that men can do to take to just kind of become overall healthier? Yeah, so I think number one would be uh, reduce the amount of uh, fatty foods that you're eating. You know, everybody's on keto and this, that, and the other thing. I would probably try to avoid uh, fad dieting. It's a good idea to have a balanced meal, meals. You don't necessarily have to have three meals a day. You know, it's interesting to me that uh, we always talk about breakfast being the most important meal of the day. That was uh, that was a concept that was brought up by uh, Kellogg's. I heard that, yeah. Um, you know, uh, many years ago. Um, 
And the idea was that if everybody thought that they had to have breakfast in order to get get going, then they would probably eat some Kellogg's cereal. <laughs> um, and, you know, unfortunately, that was a lot of sugary f- stuff. And so uh, that started the, um, at least this country down the road of, of eating these highly processed, carb-rich foods. Especially for breakfast. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, reduce the amount of calories, not by a lot, a little bit. You know, if you're eating 2,500 calories a day, go down to about 2,300 calories a day. Right. Um, you know, basically, don't eat that dinner roll. Reduce your carbs. Uh, try to avoid uh, highly processed foods. If you, lo- if you look at what's been going on in the United States over the last 100 years or so, our, as our obesity rates go up, that's so, so has the amount of processed food that we have available um, has gone up. Um, it's cheap. It's easy to get. It's convenient. And it's overly convenient. Mostly delicious. Yeah, it's of course it's delicious, <laughs> but uh, but you can't tell everybody to you know if it tastes good, spit it out. Right. So you just do little things. So right. you know, get decrease it about two hundred calories. Increase your burning of calories by exercising a little bit. Do something for about three hundred calories uh, in a session. So now you're now you're at your deficit is five hundred calories. Right. Two hundred in, in your caloric intake and three hundred in how much you're burning. Um, and you know, the next thing you know, you're going to be losing a pound a week because that's 3,500 calories. Right. So, um, so it's little things like that, that are doable. That is the best way, uh, really to do it, uh, as far as getting healthier. Right. Um, you know, I think the most recent recommendations are 150 minutes of exercise a week or 75 minutes of, of, uh, strenuous exercise a week. You know, I, you know the recommendations are the recommendations. But if right. you can get up, off the couch, go out, take a walk, ride a bike, go and sit in the pool or something like that, anything right. where you're taking some time for yourself uh, and you're not just sort of sitting on the phone on, on your, you know, you know, doing TikTok videos, um, <laughs> it's it's uh, it's only a, a positive benefit to your health. Yeah, to that point, I um. You know, my master's was in kinesiology, so I, I kind of have more of an exercise background than anything. And, um, you know, when I sit down with my clients and they start talking about, well, what should I do for exercise? Um, I kind of start asking them, well, what, what do you think exercise is? And, and the, immediately it's the gym, the treadmill, elliptical, weights, all of these kind of really traditional approaches to exercise. And a lot of times I'll say, um, did you play with your kids this weekend? And I go, yeah, great. You just exercised. Yeah. You know, um, I try to point out to them, there's a lot of exercise that they have around them. You know, maybe you go a little, a little bit faster or, you know, you try to go a little bit longer with your, with your kids, if that's what it is, or go for a walk or, or whatever is, or, you know, take the stairs. Um, I try to point out that exercise is all around us. Um, it's just a matter of kind of looking at it a little bit differently, um, doing it a little bit more from the exercise standpoint. And kind of to your point about the uh, diet is, is the same thing. Right. You know, small uh, changes can go a long way as long as you are really consistent with them. Right. So it's, it's important, guys. So, um, you know, try to make some small changes and look where you can do a lot of that. And maybe you can involve your kids in some of that stuff, too. Okay, so if you could sum up everything for the listeners about men's health into two sentences, you know, give them a, a big picture takeaway, what would you say? So uh, the big picture is is that men are scared to go to the doctor. Uh, there's nothing we can do about that. That's just sort of uh, genetic predisposition on, on our Y chromosome. But uh, what we need is for their spouses or their significant others or their loved ones to tell them to go to the doctor. 
Supportively. Supportively, yeah. <laughs> so that they can get checked out for the most common uh, illnesses, make sure that they're doing well, and make sure that they live a long, healthy, high-quality life. It's important for us as men to realize that even though deep down, wherever deep recesses of our minds, we think that we're the primary breadwinners, if we don't get checked out for hypertension and cholesterol or diabetes, um, and we end up having a stroke or a heart attack and end up uh, disabled, um, we're not doing our family any good doing that either. Right. So this is not a scare tactic, but I've seen it, I would say, uh, a lot in my 20 years of practice uh, where I've had uh, people come in and they've basically ignored their health. Uh, and they're coming in now when uh, there's very little we can do. So the earlier we can get uh, men to come in to see a physician or an APP, get checked out, make sure they're doing well, and get on the right kind of treatments if they have some sort of uh, medical issue, the the better and longer their lives are going to be and uh, the more likely they are to see um, you know, their grandkids and great-grandkids. And to that point, too, some of the lifestyle changes, they don't have to be very complicated. They can be uh, fairly simple. In fact, uh, the, the more uh, drastic you are with your lifestyle changes, the less likely they are to succeed. So it's uh, very important that when you do uh, change your lifestyle, you do it in small steps. We see the people that lose a pound a week uh, do a lot better than the ones that are losing three pounds a week. Right. Well, as you know, I'd like to finish with a little bit of fun, too. And we just had Father's Day yesterday. So happy Father's Day, by the way. Thank you. So can you give me a funny story about your dad or you being a dad that would finish off, finish us off with like a little chuckle or two? Yeah. So, uh, you know, when I was growing up, my dad is a civil engineer. Uh, and if you know anything about engineers, if you have an engineer uh, uh, in your family, you know that they're very detail oriented. <laughs> they're all about the numbers and they keep these large flow sheets. And so my dad um, had these flow sheets of his weight uh, whether he gained any weight, whether he lost any weight, he had it. Uh, and this was before all of the big hullabaloo about uh, uh, you know getting in in shape. This was in the in the mid early seventies, okay, uh, through the through the uh, uh, early nineties before jogging took off. All of that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so he had um, all of these all of this data uh, whenever he would go to the gym, and so. So he, he uh, calls me one day. This is after I had become a physician, uh, gone through med school and all that. And he calls me. He goes, hey, you know, listen, um, I, get, I keep getting uh, short of breath uh, whenever I'm, uh, you know, exercising. And uh, I don't know uh, what it is. What do you think it is? You think, you think it's this medication for hypertension that my doctor prescribed? I said, no. He goes, well, do you think it's this other medication for cholesterol that my doctor prescribed? I said, no, it's not. Well, do you think it's this medication for my prostate? I said, no, it's not. Well, what do you think it is? I said, well, you know, you keep all this data about your weight gain and your weight loss and your blood pressure and all this other stuff, but are you checking off the fact that you smoke a pack a day on there? He said, no, that, that can't be it. <laughs> So, um, so I went through med school and residency regardless. Uh, he didn't feel that my opinion, um, was correct as far as his, uh, 
that his smoking was probably causing his uh, breathing issues. <laughs> That's a good story. <laughs> well, uh, you know, we want to thank you so much for being here today, Dr. Raza, and taking the time to do this. And, uh, you know, I believe a, this will really help a lot of our listeners, um, all of them, really, not just men. Uh, but before we go, is there anything else that you'd like to say? Um, yeah, no, I think that, so, you know, we're in the, still in the middle of this uh, pandemic. Uh, we still have uh, COVID-19 that we're dealing with. Uh, that should not prevent any of our patient population from going in and seeing the doctor. Uh, we did see a drop in the number of patients coming into the hospital. Um, obviously, during COVID-19, a lot of them were very ill and they stayed home because they were scared that they were going to get it. Um, but I'll tell you that the risk of staying home when you're having a heart attack or a stroke or or some sort of complication from diabetes is a lot greater than getting uh, COVID-19. So uh, please, uh, if you feel bad, if you uh, uh, feel like there's been a significant change in your medical condition, uh, do not hesitate to go in to the hospital or do not hesitate to go in to see your doctor. We can do uh, televisits um, so that you don't have to uh, sit in a waiting room, uh, etc., uh, but definitely make sure that you seek the care that you need. Yeah, and that's for you know everything. You know, I think we just talked about uh, virtual visits with Dr. Nunnery as well, and so you know we have virtual visits available. Um, our offices are open. Anything you guys need, please come on in. Well, thank you again for taking the time to do this, and thank you everyone for listening in. Stay tuned, and as always, be informed, stay healthy, and live well. Thanks. Bye.